This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, March 10th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. When faced with the specter of online predators, police departments often do little to nothing, and lawmakers often point their fingers at the online platforms for not doing enough to stop the crime. Cato's Will Duffield says law enforcement agencies typically have the law on their side when they're trying to act against online harassers, and platforms are typically more than happy to assist with legitimate investigations. We spoke last week. New York Times journalist Kashmir Hill wrote about a Canadian woman named Nadira Toss who used blogs, product review websites, scam alert services to harass people that she believed had wronged her throughout her life. Her behavior began more than a decade ago. As the New York Times recounts, in 2009, a lawyer who'd been working with her started getting calls and emails at his office from men interested in meeting for sex. And this sort of harassment is, unfortunately, common or or common enough online that isn't this isn't the first case we've seen of this. A gay dating app called Grindr was used a number of years ago by a man's ex-boyfriend to repeatedly send men to his house looking for, um, having communicated with his ex about having violent sex. And in both of these cases, this, this Canadian woman who harassed people for years and, and this, um, case in New York in which the boyfriend took out a restraining order against his, his ex, um, he reported it to the police, this harassment repeatedly, and they did nothing. They didn't act on the order. They didn't arrest the, the ex-boyfriend, at least not immediately. Um, and he sued Grinder for failing to prevent this behavior from happening. And in, in a lot of these cases, we see platforms blamed for failing to prevent what is ultimately criminal behavior, a failure of law enforcement. So what's the, the best case? Justices. Yeah. What's the best case then you could make that police didn't feel comfortable acting on the information that they had? In this case, Matthew Herrick had a restraining order, a stay away order against his ex, uh, preventing him ostensibly from behaving in exactly this way. So the police had had every kind of cause. In the story covered by the New York Times, um, this this woman in Toronto who'd been harassing Americans for, for years, she was at one point jailed for uh, when, when a previous civil judgment and, and restraining order that had been taken out against her over exactly this sort of behavior was breached. And for those 70 days when she was jailed, the harassment stopped. But it began again as soon as she was released, and subsequent rulings against her didn't include any kind of enforcement provision. Now, after this Time story was published, 10 days after they shed public light on this story, Toronto police arrested her again and charged her with 10 counts of harassment, defamatory libel, and spreading false information with the intent to alarm. So in these cases, uh, you would argue that the police often have plenty to go on. And of course, it's not limited to these two cases. This kind of stuff happens all the time. But uh, police are generally 
reluctant to do anything about it if it if it is if people are making use of online tools to execute their harassment well there may be a, a generational divide or a kind of cultural update that needs to happen within police forces in taking this more seriously but as a matter of law they have all of the tools they need right now this case happened in Canada but in the US we have you know, even with the First Amendment, it, it's no bar to uh, preventing this sort of behavior. We have a federal anti-stalking statute that, while it's limited by intent to respect the First Amendment, the patterns of harassment and the sort of persistence and frequency of harassment that you see in these internet cases makes intent easy to recognize and, and prove. Um, this Atos woman allegedly sent more than 12,000 defamatory messages and, and posts. When lawmakers get into the fray and read these terrible stories, I can remember, uh, I think we, I mentioned Al Franken in our last podcast. Um, Al Franken, of course, uh, pointing out that people are using, a man, a man was using online tools to track his ex-wife. Uh, and texting her uh, and telling her about her location. And this was very frightening to her. But the uh, natural inclination for so many of these lawmakers seems to be, what can these platforms do about this? And how can we lean on them to uh, do something about this? Why do you view that as insufficient? Well, firstly, platforms already do a lot to try to prevent this. And they'll work with law enforcement when law enforcement chooses to investigate this kind of activity. In this case, Pinterest, Facebook, and WordPress all responded to subpoenas in, in civil suits um, against uh, a toss. And in, in many cases, they're in criminal investigations. Platforms can sometimes even be too helpful uh, to the point of creating privacy concerns in, in giving law enforcement the information that, that they want. Um, However, compared to platform action, criminal law is, is a permanent tool in that, be it a jail sentence or, or fine, perhaps, or, um, you know, in, in this Canadian case, it seems like this woman really needed uh, court-ordered mental health counseling or, or some kind of help medically. Um, but when you look at platform solutions, they're discrete. They occur on one platform. and the, the abuser or a criminal may just move to another. Um, and in the end, when we ask platforms to take on responsibilities, not just for preventing certain forms of misuse, but for preventing real-world outcomes, um, to prevent something from happening writ large in real life, then they end up having to really push that content moderation far beyond what it was ever intended to do, um, to accept far more false positives and cast a much wider net. Is there any evidence that uh, online platforms have been reluctant to cooperate with police, either Capitol Police or the FBI in investigating the riot at the Capitol on January 6th? No. Um, I mean, I don't know if there have been any questions regarding encrypted messaging and, and efforts to break certain services, but on the whole, they've been very happy to, to hand over information. 
Um, more broadly, though, after the the riot, they took really drastic steps to potentially prevent something like that from happening again, um, and essentially tried to shore up the failure of physical security around the Capitol by doing wild things like Airbnb canceling all listings in the DC metro area for inauguration week, blocking new reservations, and being followed by other hotel booking apps. And this was never the sort of harm that content moderation was intended to prevent. The security of the capital is a state function. Um, and, and we end up with kind of just drastic moderation to the point that these services don't, don't work. Uh, no one could use Airbnb in, in the DC metro area um, because they'd been called upon to stop a riot, stop people from gathering. So it's it's just a, a duty that really belongs with law enforcement that the state is empowered to carry out. And, and we shouldn't be expecting of private hotel booking services or speech intermediaries. To what extent have lawmakers been leaning on platforms with respect to the, the January 6th? Um, there, there's been all kinds of cries for both mainstream platforms to do something. And then as seemingly riotous speech um, or claims of a, a stolen or contested election move to smaller third-party platforms. Uh, lawmakers asked the infrastructure providers that provide services to those platforms, keep them online, um, to withdraw service, to knock them off, again, as part of a, a broader responsibility. Um, to, to help the state in a time of need or so. Yeah, it's very strange that lawmakers play both sides of this. One is that uh, platforms are responsible somehow for what is properly a state function, uh, a law enforcement function, and lawmakers, of course, create those laws. And then the flip side is when the state functionaries fail, as in the Capitol riot, the reverse is, well, you've, you platforms, you've failed us. Uh, it's troubling. Well, I, I think when, when you expect then platforms to, to chase down every lead, um, to take a responsibility for what happens as a result of the internet as a whole, then you really drive the sorts of cross-platform enforcement efforts and agreements that worry people, that cause people to complain that there isn't enough diversity online, that you're seeing a race to the bottom in terms of stringent or, or restrictive rule sets. But it's something else that may make sense in particularized, limited contexts. It was a cross-platform um, hashing databases, which will capture content uploaded and flagged on any one platform for removal across a number of platforms, were rolled out in response to ISIS and to take child pornography offline. But increasingly, we're expecting to platforms to apply those sorts of tools to domestic extremism, which is far harder to define or, or strictly categorize than images of, of children that have been, been sexualized in a sexual context. What can platforms do, though? I mean, it, they're, they've been placed in an impossible position, in a sense, by police and by uh, lawmakers that would 
that are let's let's be fair probably also want to regulate the, those platforms for other reasons as well to credibly communicate to the public our job is this and we will assist law enforcement we will hand over the relevant information to the extent that it doesn't violate uh the the, the privacy deal that we've cut with our users um and say look it's those guys over there who need to be uh, enforcing the law. I, I think platforms could be clearer about the trade-offs involved in what they're doing, even when they take on some of these responsibilities, uh, particularly in sort of emergency situations. Um, this is what this entails. This is how our service is limited in in trying to prevent this. And perhaps these are other steps that that we could have taken but would have required even more severe disruptions of service or violations of privacy. Um, some of the remedies or steps that litigants have asked for in lawsuits against platforms, that Herrick case in New York, would have really altered how they can provide users with a private experience, with a safe experience, um, say preventing users from using VPNs to anonymously connect to the service, um, which would really put the sorts of people who use a gay dating app in uh, parts of the world with intolerant policies towards homosexuality in, in a nasty place. You know, if the government of Iran could, could subpoena or lean on Grindr to hand over its user data and execute murder. Uh, its its users. That would be a, a nasty place for for Grinder to be in, for Grinder's users around the world to be in, um, and not the kind of trade off we ought to make because the NYPD doesn't take essentially intimate partner harassment seriously between gay men. So platforms could be more clear about these as the trade offs they're making or are being called to make. Will Duffield is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>